Okay, good morning. Today we're going to read just the last, I think it's eight, nine verses of the parsha, but it's a, such a fascinating story. And we'll talk about it next week too, because next week's parsha continues the end of the parsha Balak. This is the beginning of chapter 25 of the book of Amidbar. It is the story of the Jewish people sinning with the girls in Pa'ar, the Moabite girls that lead them to sin. So let's read about the story. <clears throat> it says, beginning of chapter 25, the Jewish people dwell in the land of Shittim. Whenever the Torah says Vayeshev, they dwelled, it's a sign of secure. They've, they're dwelling, they think that they're good. Sign of like, you know, you're very materially uh, wealthy, secure, complacent, and then always that's when damage, when, when disaster strikes. When the Jewish people are complacent, that's when they're most vulnerable to sin. So the Jewish people are dwelling in Shittim. They think they're good. Moshe killed all the different kings that were attacking them. They conquered the lands of, uh, of Sicha. They conquered the lands of Oig. Now they're feeling, uh, feeling pretty good. And that moment is when they become susceptible to sin. What happens? I mentioned yesterday that Bilam said to Balak, before I go, Balak said, get out of here. I wanted a reward. He said, I have no choice but to, to, to punish you, to, to chase you away. So Bilam said, before I go, let me advise you what you should do with the Jews, and let me tell you a prophecy of what will happen at the end of the days. So yesterday we talked about the prophecy. Today let's talk about what was the advice of Bilam. Bilam says to Balak, I couldn't curse them, because their God is in love with them. He doesn't want me to curse them. However, if you get the Jewish people to sin, specifically with immorality, immorality, sexual lewdness, etc., is the worst thing in the eyes of God. This is what God despises more than anything else. If you get the Jewish people to sin in that way, they will lose their divine protection and then they'll be vulnerable. You won't have to kill them. God himself will punish them and they'll be destroyed. And so he tells, he, he himself is involved in setting up, he tells Balak exactly what to do, set up a massive bazaar, a fair. Every Jew loves to go shopping, right? They want to get a deal. You ever met a Jewish woman she'll show you the dress she's wearing? She'll tell you, this is how much it retails for, this is how much I paid for it, right? It's like the, there's a certain joy, a certain pleasure in, in getting a, a bargain. So they set up a big, big bazaar with lots of tents, as far as the eye could see. And then in the front, they had these old women, modestly dressed, you know, all the ladies, selling linen. The Jews like linen, very, very beautiful cloth. And so the Jews are dwelling in Shittim. They're feeling secure, they're feeling good. So they say, let's go to the local Moabite bazaar and let's go see what's going on over there. Let's go shopping a little bit. That's the beginning, a slight discretion. Not a, it's not a sin to go shopping in a Moabite bazaar and to go look for a sale on linen. Nothing wrong with that. But every sin begins with a little, little indiscretion. And from there, it, it proceeds. So they go shopping. And the woman on the outside told them, this is the price. They give a high price. But if you go inside the tent, I have other merchandise that's on sale. The good stuff is in the back. The Jews went inside the tent where it's private. And there were young Moabite girls waiting for them, very immodestly dressed, very seductive. And they had wine. People came in and said, come, before we bargain, let's know, why should we haggle? They gave them very good prices. But let's, 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 let's be friends, you know, for friends. I'll give you a better deal, right? That's part of, part of negotiations. You've got to be buddy-buddy and you relax. At that point, Yayin Nesach, which is wine that's from a non-Jew, had not yet been forbidden to the Jewish people. In the Bible, if you have wine of a, non, of a non-Jew, it's kosher, biblically, right? At least at this point, it has, there's no unkosher ingredients in there. It's not a slaughtered animal. 
the rabbis instituted a decree called Yayin Nesach, which is wine from a non-Jew that could be used for idolatry. You're not allowed to use any Jew, uh, any wine from a non-Jew. It's just like it's non-kosher, like any other non-kosher. But this time that one didn't exist yet. So there was no prohibition against them eating, drinking the Yayin Nesach, the wine of the non-Jews. It was a very, very strong wine with a very uh, you know, high alcohol content. And then they got very, very relaxed and uninhibited by drinking the wine. And then the girls in the privacy of the tent in the back where they come to buy a thing, starts to seduce the Jewish people. Until the Jewish people are on the verge of sin. Their, their, their hormones are raging. And then when the hormones are raging, they're about to commit the sin of immorality of being with this non-Jewish woman. They say, ah, before you can be with me, you need to worship the idol of Pa'ar. Now how did you worship the idol of Pa'ar? This will be a whole discussion for itself. You worship Pa'ar by defecating in front of it, by doing your bodily organs. Originally, originally, the idol of Pa'ar began, people were in such a state of spiritual ecstasy and spiritual, you know, uh, outer body experiences, and they couldn't control their bodily functions. And they would defecate because they were, they were in such a spiritual high, they couldn't control their bodily, they were unaware of what their body was doing. Later generations didn't have the same spiritual high of the idol, but they, they emulated the external actions of the idol, and so they kept them defecating in front of the idol. And anyway, the point is that at that moment, while they were in the back of the tent, at this moment of tremendous uh, seduction and temptation, they worshipped the idols, and then once they worshipped the idols, they also then committed this tremendously immoral sin of being intimate and having affairs together with these Moabite girls that they were not allowed to be with. As a result of that, sorry, Midianite, sorry, I take that back, Midianite girls. Midianite girls. Um, and what happened? <coughs> God got very, very angry at the Jewish people. You can imagine, exactly as Bilal had said what happened, is exactly what happened. So at that time, a big plague came against the Jewish people. And God says to Moshe, in order to stop the plague, I want you to, not about, uh, to take away my anger, you need to take the leaders of the Jewish people, meaning the judges of the Jewish people. How many judges of the Jewish people, do you remember? If you remember the book of Exodus, when Yisro established a system of judges, there's a total of 78,600 judges in the entire nation of Israel. Take all the judges... And go find all the people that have committed the sin of being immoral and in, acting immodestly in the tents and execute them to remove my wrath, to remove my anger from amongst the Jewish people. So Moshe says to God, how, how are we going to do that? We don't know who was committing sins. It was done without witnesses. By Jewish law, the only way to punish someone for a capital uh, crime is two witnesses need to come forward and testify that we saw the person and we warned the person and we saw the person. This was done in private. They, we, there's no witnesses. How are we going to punish them? So Hashem says, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to uh, remove, I'm going to uh, remove the clouds of glory. I'll open up the clouds of glory over the people that sinned, and you'll be able to see exactly who are the sinners. And the clouds of glory opened up, and the sun shone on the faces of the people that had committed the sin in private. They thought nobody could see, because they're in the back of the tent. You know, who, who would see what I'm doing? I'm in the back of the tent. The sun opened, the tent opened up, the clouds, sorry, opened up, and the sun shone on their faces to show that your sin that you committed in secret is now being revealed openly for everyone to see. And those people were taken out to be hung and to be, to be hung and killed by stone and then hung by the, by the judges. Now who were these hundred, it said that there were 157,000 people that were guilty of this crime. Two for every one of the 78,000 judges. 
Who are, who, who are these people? The majority of them were the Erev Rav. The Erev Rav are the people, the non-Jews, the Egyptians that had joined along with the Jewish people that had also been involved in many other immoral acts. They never got rid of that desire for evil. So they saw these Midianite girls, they go running, they could have controlled themselves. So this was the end of the Erev Rav. We had a question, a discussion, like w- w- they didn't inherit any of the land of Israel. They, didn't, they weren't part of any tribe. We already discussed this, that the Erev Rav, they weren't part of any tribe, they never inherited land, they weren't given a place to dwell in, in, in the different campings of Israel. And so too when they came to, sorry, the campings of the journey in the desert, and so too when they came to Israel, they weren't given territory. What happened to them? They all died out from these 157,000 people, whichever of the Erev Rav were left, this was like the, the, the purging and the cleansing of the Jewish people that all those that had committed sins are now fin- they're obliterated from the Jewish people. But aside for the Erev Rav, there were also 100% Jews who were part of the 12 tribes of Israel that also committed the sins, primarily from the tribe of Shimon. For whatever reason, Shimon lived near with the bazaars, and the members of the tribe of Shimon went out to go and participate in this immoral act. And they were the, the primary tribe that was losing all the people that were being punished and judged because they had committed immoral acts with these Midianite girls. So the, sh- the people of Shimon, they see how they're being judged by the judges and the people, their, their brethren, are being hung and stoned for their, for their crimes. They come running to their prince. Their prince's name was Zimri. And they come to Zimri and they say, Zimri, save us, save us, stand up for your people, do something. So Zimri takes a Midianite girl. Who's the Midianite girl he takes? So this is very interesting. We'll talk about next week. So it says over here, he comes and he takes as Hamidyanis, the Midianite girl. Not just a, a girl. Ha. When it says in the Torah, Hamidyanis, it means the. Like the, the, like the capital of the, the, the one that's known. Who's the Midianite girl that's known? Zimri, the prince of the tribe of Shimon. Zimri ben Salud. Next, here in this week's parish, it doesn't say what his name is. Next week's parish will say what his name is. His name is Zimri ben Salu. He's a chief or the prince of the tribe of Shimon. He takes the, capital T, H-E, Midianite girl. So the Torah doesn't say who. Next week's parish will tell us who is this girl. Her name is Kuzbi, the daughter of Tzor. However, the Medrash, the commentaries tell us that Tzor, you know what Tzor really is? Tzor, it's Tzaris, yeah. Tzor is one of the five kings of Midian, but he's also the king of Moab. Who is the king of Moab? Balak. If you remember, I told you at the beginning of the parsha on Monday when we started the parsha, we said that Balak became the king of Moab by Ace Hahi, says the Torah, at that time. How, why at that time? He wasn't a Midianite, he wasn't a Moabite. Balak was a Midianite king. I said this on Monday. Balak was a Midianite king. And he saw how the Moabites were not, well, he saw the threat of the Jewish people. So he came to the Moabites and he convinced the Moabites. They're coming after us. Remember we talked about this, us versus them. And he gave his whole fear of the Jews coming. Even though, as we already explained, the Jews weren't attacking the Moabites. The Jews had already passed the Moabites. So because Balak was able to arouse the anti-Semitism of the Moabites against the Jewish people, they appointed Balak as a king at that time. So Balak himself, how did Balak get all of these Midianite girls to profane themselves, to become like prostitutes, to become like... Uh, these uh, women that would just openly uh, violate themselves to seduce the Jews to sin for no return. No, they weren't getting paid. They were doing it just to hate the Jewish people, to get them to sin. How do you inspire thousands and thousands of Midianite girls to violate their bodies, to profane their bodies, just for the sake of making the Jews sin? 
He took his own daughter as an example, his own princess, the royal princess, the daughter of Bala, Cosby, to go and to become like a prostitute, to go get the juice of sin. And by violating his own daughter, that was the, the, the role model, so to say. The, the, the role model of a Jew is to be holy, to be modest. The role model of the Midianite girls is their princess, Cosby, openly profaning her own body, becoming a prostitute in order to, uh, in order to become a, 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 a stumbling block for the Jewish people. Understand the, the values, the moral value system of the, of the Midianite people, that the princess became this very, very immoral kind of woman. So he takes Cosby, and actually the Medjur says that Cosby says to Shimon, I don't want to go with you. My father told me that I should seduce Moshe himself. <laughs> so he says, you're not going to seduce Moshe. That's not going to happen. But, take me, I am the prince of the second tribe of Israel. If you count the Jews, you have Ruvain, Shimon, Levi. Moshe only comes from the tribe of Levi, which is the third tribe of Israel. I come from the second tribe, so I'm more prestigious than, than Moshe from the tribe of Levi. Now she didn't realize how it works in Judaism, so she fell for it. And so Zimri, the prince, takes Cosby, the daughter of Balak, the daughter of Tur, the Midianite princess, daughter of the king, and he publicly brings her into the camp of Israel. Not that he went to Midian and whatever, he went to the bazaar, he brings her into the camp of Israel. And then he's standing before everyone is gathered around. And he comes before Moshe and says, Moshe, this Midianite girl, is she permitted to me or forbidden to me? So Moshe says, forbidden to you. So, so how did you marry Tzipporah? Mm-hmm. Tzipporah is also a Midianite girl. She's also a Midianite, and you married her. Now, obviously, it's a stupid question, because when did Moshe marry Tzipporah? Before the giving of the Torah. The whole prohibition of a Jew marrying a non-Jew is by the giving of the Torah. That's when we made the covenant with God. When we became the Jewish people, we made the covenant with God. will be his nation, no other nation. That covenant didn't exist when Moshe married Tzipporah before the giving of the Torah. Secondly, Tzipporah converted. Tzipporah became a Jewish woman. So it was, it was an argument of just, it just sounded good in the, on the Twitter uh, thing. It was a good Twitter argument. It wasn't actually, it was a good meme. It wasn't like, there was no depth to this argument. It looked good on Twitter. So Moshe got stumped. Why did he get, so he like lost, he couldn't respond. Because Moshe got very, very afraid. He said, this is not the generation I took out of Egypt 40 years ago that was a young, immature nation that I could tell God, don't be afraid, you know, don't, don't take them seriously. This is officially the new generation. They grew up in freedom. These are the people that are ready to, these are the people that are supposed to conquer the land of Israel. And they're sinning like this. They're giving into temptation. And Moshe became afraid that God would destroy the entire Jewish nation. And also because it was personal against him, he became stumped, he became he speechless. Commentators say also that God wanted to give Pinchas the opportunity to really reveal his own greatness. So by God making Moshe not be able to respond, this gave the opportunity to Pinchas, the great nephew of Moshe, the son of Elazar, Elazar is the son of Aaron. So you have Aaron, right? Moshe's brother. He has a son called Elazar. He has a son called Pinchas, Aaron's grandson. He comes to Moshe. He says, Moshe! His, his blood was boiling, Pinchas. Didn't you tell us when you came down from Mount Sinai that whoever sees uh, a zealot who sees someone being immoral with a non-Jewish woman, having an affair, having sex with a non-Jewish woman, we should stand up for the honor of the Jewish people and, 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 and just kill them. Why aren't you killing this, uh, this, this, uh, this, this um, union? So Moshe quotes in the famous expression, the one who reads the letter should be the one to carry it out. You're reading the letter, you remember the halacha correctly, that uh, it says, says halacha, but we don't teach. There's certain things in Judaism, halacha, in my case. Halacha, you don't, you don't go around and say, okay, I'm teaching halacha. If you see a person with a non-Jewish woman, kill them. So what does he do? Pinchas sees how Zimri took this woman into his tent, 
in front of the whole Jewish people. He was trying to stop his brothers from being, from being uh, killed by the judges. No, everyone's standing around and they're crying. Moshe is speechless. The Jews, the innocent Jews, the righteous Jews are crying to see this tremendous violation where the prince of the Jews is bringing the Midianite princess into his own tent. And, cut, and Pinchas takes a spear. He comes to the tent of Zimri and they say to him, what do you want over here? There was guards. The tribe of Shimon put guards all around the tent. She says, I came to have my turn. He had to pretend like he wanted to be part of the fun. She says, ah, well, I'm also something important. I'm from the family of Levi. I also want to have a chance. They let him in. He took the spear and God did, says, ten miracles God did for him at that moment. He went in. He thought he would die. Pinchas died and they killed Zimri. The, the people from the tribe of Shimon would kill him. And yet, he went with tremendous sacrifice. He saw, at that moment, God brought a plague on the Jewish people. When the plague that had started and stopped, when God said to Moshe, kill all the, have the judges, bring justice, that anger re-flared up, and there was a plague, and people were dying. People were dying. So he had no choice. So he said, I'm willing to allow myself to be killed by the tribe of Shimon to protect the people from dying in the plague. He took the spear, and God did a miracle. The spear became long enough as the moment that Zimri and Cosby were intimate together, their bodies were up against each other, the spear went through the body of Zimri, through the body of Cosby, stabbed both of them together, that they were both in the act. He had the strength to be able to carry both of them in one hand out on the spear, that their bodies remained on the spear, and only like fall through the spear. Their bodies remained pierced on the spear. He carried them out of the tent Intimate, still bodies still together, so everyone should see that his act had been done righteously, that he had actually committed them, killed them in the act of sin. And when he carried them out, at that moment the anger of God, of God was calmed, and the, the plague stopped. How many people died in the plague? Says the Torah, there were 24,000 people that died in this plague from the time that when they started, and then when it stopped, and then when Pinchas, sorry, when Zimri took her into the tent, till Pinchas killed them. 24,000 people. So think about this. How many people died in the plague when the Jewish people worshipped the golden calf? You know how many people died? 3,000. 3,000 people died from the golden calf. Aside for the Arab, 3,000 Jews. How many Jews died from this act of immorality in Shittim where they were with the Midianite girls? 24,000. Gives you a perspective on the damage that immorality has on the Jewish people. Anyway, that's the story. Pinchas kills these two people. The plague stops. Next week's parasha starts off with the reward that God gives Pinchas for his act of heroism.